Our reading tonight is 3 John. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, just as you are progressing spiritually. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. You They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will, will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not Im- imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Thank you, Hannah. You read really well. Three John. It's a great little gem of a letter. And I've always enjoyed the Apostle John's letters. They were the first books of the Bible that I read as a Christian. And they've helped me grow, uh, helped me grow in a, a love for Scripture. In high school, I was the smallest player on the field every single time. And when I tell people I'm a South African, they don't believe me because they look at me and they go, yeah, too small to be a South African. But lining up against the other team and you're kind of looking them in the knee, my grandfather would usually encourage me with something like, don't worry, dynamite comes in small packages. (laughs) Three John is the shortest book in the New Testament. Um, It's the shortest book in the Bible. It only has 213 words in the original Greek. It would be a bit corny to say that 3 John is dynamite, but it is good. Like Obadiah in the Old Testament, it's often overlooked in uh, churches' preaching series. And I looked online and I couldn't find very many churches that had preached on 3 John. It's a shame, though, because while most of the other New Testament letters are written to churches, communities, or to the public, 3 John is written to an individual, one Christian brother to another. Surprisingly for the Apostle John, it is very light on theological content. The message of 3 John is beautifully simple. Support the gospel. Support right teaching. The gospel message, the truth, as John calls it, is worth contending for, and it's worth supporting. Let's pray 
and ask God for his help this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that all of it is relevant to our lives, even though it was written so many years ago. Not a word is wasted, and all of it speaks of your great love for us and the length you went to to make us your own. Put your finger on the aspects of our lives and thoughts that need changing. This evening, help us to be fascinated by the genius of your word, and through your spirit, help us to understand it so we may live pleasing lives to you, our master and friend. Amen. Uh, Kathy, can you drive through the slides for me? Very good, thank you. So lots has been written about um, 3 John. A lot, of, a lot has been written about the background to 3 John. And we can know the following. From the earliest tradition, from within uh, the generation that John wrote the letter, they have attributed the letter to John, Jesus' beloved disciple. Notice that nowhere in the text does it say that the letter was written by John, only that it was written by the elder. Even though uh, the letter omits the author's name, we can be sure that it was the Apostle John that wrote this letter. At the time um, that John was around, there were many preachers going around speaking about Jesus. And there were two main camps. There were those that were speaking the truth and going out for the sake of the name, that is, for Jesus on his behalf, as Jesus says in verse 7. Take a look at verse 7. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So there were these good guys going out doing gospel ministry. These were the guys that were going out in the tradition of Matthew 10 and were dependent on the hospitality of others. But there was another camp, another group of guys who were going out and spreading falsehood and lies. These traveling preachers would move around from place to place teaching people about Jesus. Now, there were no hotels and fancy places to stay in those days, and they were reliant on people inviting them to come and stay at their homes. An invitation to somebody was seen as supporting not only the preacher, but also their message. That's why in 2 John, verse 11, John says of these preachers, anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. If you hosted a traveling preacher, you were supporting his message. There is a train of thought linking John's three letters. They were all written to encourage believers to stand firm against false teaching and to guard the truth. The false teachers were saying that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, that Jesus wasn't a real man. For tonight, we don't need to go into any more detail of what the false teachers were teaching, but rather to note that false teaching, whatever shape or form it takes, is dangerous to the cause of the gospel. So John writes these three letters dealing with false teaching, which was permeating the early church. One John is written to the church in general. And in it, he helps readers recognize false teaching. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4, 
verse 2. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. It's good as you read uh, 2 and 3 John to keep 1 John open. Gives a lot of good background to what's going on in the other two letters. In verse 2, John says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. If preachers were going to teach that Jesus wasn't a real man, that he was only some kind of spirit, then they were false prophets. They were false teachers. Their message is not worth believing. You see, John wants us to know that teaching the truth is crucial. And in the next verse, take a look at verse 3. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. John says that anyone uh, teaching falsehood is the devil. It carries on and says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's strong language for a serious offense. One John is saying, this is how you recognize false and true teaching. Two John, so one John was written to the church in general. Two John is written to a church to say, watch out for false teachers and don't show them any hospitality. In other words, don't support them and their message. And 3 John is written to an individual with advice on how to treat preachers of the truth. Basically, John is saying, show them hospitality because he wants them to support them and their message. A simple outline of the letter is as follows. Verses 1 to 4 is a warm and fond greeting from one friend to another. It really sound, and Hannah read that so well, it really did sound like one friend writing to another. Verse 5 to 8, the recipient of the letter, Gaius, is commended for his treatment of the gospel preachers and teachers. Verse 9 and 10, Diotrephes is condemned for his evil actions as a result of not supporting the true gospel preachers. Verses 11 to 12, Demetrius is commended as a true gospel teacher. And finally, the greeting in verses 13 to 15. This caught me out at first. Some Bibles don't have a verse 15, but a longer verse 14. I had a good scrounge around trying to figure out what was going on there. Um, Don't let it worry you. Uh, The verse allocation is not inspired. Um, That's just there to help you find your place. Um, But whether you've got 14 verses or 15 verses, um, you've got the same the same words, they're identical. The first thing I want us to think about this evening as we want to support the gospel is that it's helpful to know the gospel. To spot error, it helps to know the truth. We've already said that there's very little theological content uh, in this letter, and that's because John knows Gaius. It's likely that John helped Gaius come to faith, And he knows that Gaius knows what the truth is. We do get glimpses of what John considers to be the truth in his first letter. Take a look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. 
Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So negatively, John is saying that a liar is the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ, that is God's chosen Savior King. So positively, John is saying that Jesus is the Christ. In uh, chapter 4, John shows us that Jesus is the one that makes atonement. He is the one that makes us right with God. He is the one that brings reconciliation. It might be a bit of an oversimplification, but the truth is the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. You see, do we know the gospel? I'm not going to do it, but if we had a, a spot test and, and I asked you, would you be able to explain the gospel to the person next to you if their life depended on it? You see, it's important to know the gospel, to understand it, and to be ready to share it. How else can we live out 1 Peter 3, verse 15? It's a well-known verse, and it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, we need to be prepared. We need to know the gospel. And I want to encourage us all to learn it. Two Ways to Live is a, a very helpful Bible-centered tool uh, which helps us learn and share the gospel. The gospel is simple and clear. Two Ways to Live summarizes the gospel like this. Two Ways to Live is made up of six pictures. The first picture says that God is the loving ruler and creator of the world. The world is good. But then in picture two, we see that we all reject God by trying to run life our own way without him. We rebel against God's authority. The Bible calls that sin. Picture three tells us that God's punishment for sin and death, sorry, for God's punishment for sin is death and judgment. Picture four, because of his love, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus always lived under God's rule. But he died in our place and took the punishment that we deserve. Picture five tells us that God raised Jesus to life again, conquering death and sin, making him the ruler of the world. Picture six tells us that that leaves us with a decision. We have two ways to live. We can live God's way or our way. Two Ways to Live is a great way to know the gospel. You can download it as an app on your phone and you can find it online. Learn the truth. It's important. It does matter. We need to know what the gospel is. The second thing to think about tonight is that we need to find friends in the gospel. <clears throat> Billy Graham is possibly the most well-known modern evangelist. He had an amazing ministry, or he has an amazing ministry, filled with gospel fruit and integrity, and has had a one-on-one -on -one Bible reading discipleship ministry of some sort 
with many of the American presidents. He has witnessed to and advised all the American presidents since World War II, all the way up to Barack Obama. That's 12 in all. In the last messy year of Nixon's presidency, Billy Graham uh, did not get an opportunity to see him. But someone in the White House later uh, relayed that Nixon said, don't let Billy Graham near me. I don't want him tarred with Watergate. Jimmy Carter said of him, his reputation is above reproach or suspicion. Now, according to the very reliable source that Wikipedia is, um, Billy Graham preached to 215 million people live and went and traveled to 185 countries around the world. As far as I know, there's probably only about 210 countries in the world. 215 million people got to hear the gospel because of one man. Well, not really one man. You see, Billy Graham, in his biographies, would say that if anything was done, if there was any fruit to his ministry, it was because of God's strength and a huge team effort. He had a team of close friends and family that worked together to reach all those millions of people. In fact, the core group which started the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association were so close that they all bought houses in the same street. I think it was a cul-de-sac. So they could retire together. Billy Graham retired in 2014. This year he turns 99. It's amazing to be in a gospel team like that, a team that is so close, a team that spends time praying together, playing together and sharing life, the ups and the downs. Friends can guard and contend for the gospel easier than an, than an individual can. And what a joy it is to serve with friends. And we see this closeness in this letter that John writes. Gaius is referred to four times as John's dear friend. Probably a better translation is beloved friend. John sends greetings from his friends and asks Gaius to greet the friends there. Friend was also a way of referring to those that followed Jesus, as Jesus did in his prayer for his disciples at the Lord's Supper in John 15. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know what he does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. See, Gaius was a disciple, but he was also a friend. Gaius is close to John, and we see it in verses 2, 3, and 4. John asks that, and says that he, he, he wants his friend to enjoy good health. He wants things to go well with his friend. He says that he finds great joy to hear of his friend's faithfulness and perseverance with the truth. It brings John great joy to hear that his children, those that he helped to faith, are persevering. Gaius 
is important to John like his own children. John and Gaius aren't just business partners or associates, but they're friends. You see, if you are in a a ministry serving, in a team, get to know each other, pray for each other, spend time together, be vulnerable, challenge one another, be responsible for each other's spiritual growth. Gospel ministry can be hard. It's great to share that burden. And equally, it is so great to be able to share the blessings when things go well. We need to make time for those that serve on teams with us. It's important. Sometimes we might find ourselves on teams with people that we struggle to get along with. Um, You may never be as close as what John and Gaius were, but we can make an effort. By doing this, we obey Jesus' command. John 13, I give you a new command. Love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. So we need to know the gospel. We need to know the truth. And we need to find friends in the gospel, people that can contend with us for the sake of the gospel. The last thing I want us to think about is that we need to support gospel ministry. It's the main reason John writes this letter. He wants to commend Gaius in his support of the gospel preachers and to encourage him to do it more. In verse 5, he says, you are doing it. You're looking after the strangers. You're showing them hospitality as they go out and preach the gospel. And in verse 6, he says, do it more. Showing hospitality to a stranger had cultural significance. A stranger to a town was considered an outsider until someone from within the town, somebody that was known to them, could vouch for them. Hospitality was saying, I vouch for this person. I support them and their message. Now it's probable that the strangers in verse 5 were traveling preachers from John's community and they had sent a report back to John that Gaius was looking after them and that Diotrephes hadn't. John asks Gaius to continue his support and to send them off with that support probably by providing supplies and resources for their trip, which was a common thing to do in those days and was expected of a good host. Um, If you can, if you want to do some fun reading, go and Google um, good hosting in the first century. Um, We could do well to learn from some of that as well. John says that by showing hospitality to these traveling preachers, Gaius is a partner in the gospel. He's a gospel partner with them and is in fact sharing in their ministry. Take a look at verse 8 in 3 John. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such peoples so that they may work so that we may work together for the truth. John's saying if you support them, you're partnering with them in the gospel. 
When we support gospel ministry, we become gospel partners with that ministry team. Now, not all of Billy Graham's team preached, but they each played their part to support the ministry. And the whole team was supported by Christians all over the world through finance and prayer. Um, I wasn't around to experience the Billy Graham uh, mission. I know that there are a few of you here who might have and would probably recall all the hustle and the bustle um, that went with that. Franklin Graham came to speak in Cape Town with Billy Graham's son. And for months in advance, there was a lot of hubbub and a lot of working and planning and uh, getting things done and getting ready for the gospel. You see, all of those people were gospel partners Being part of gospel ministry is exciting. It's exciting to see what God is doing all over the world. And it's exciting to see what God is doing in the local church. We have got to support gospel ministry. We have to get behind gospel ministry. Uh, Yesterday, I went with Justin's football team. Timo is part of that team. Uh, We went to go and watch Wickham Wanderers, um, so that uh, Justin and Timo's team could be awarded with the Bucks' fairest team in the county. So I thought it was pretty good. Sorry? What was what, the adults? No, you got it. It was your team. And the trophy was wrong. What they did is they score, after each game, they score the, the kids out of 100. 100 for the kids, 100 for the parents, and 100 for the coaches. And um, their team, the under sevens, had 96%. So it was everybody. So they did really well. Thanks for that distraction, Tim. Well done. <laughs> You're coming up again because I sat next to your granddad as we, um, as we were watching the football. And ironically, we were talking about collecting sermon illustrations John was really getting into the game, and um, he kept bumping into me, kept nudging me and that kind of stuff. And eventually he apologized, and um, he just said that he was trying to header the ball. Um, And that's how we should be as Christians. We should be dying to get stuck into the game, dying to support gospel ministry, dying to get the gospel out there, not able to sit still and watch from the sidelines but getting in there and doing something. See, the thing about gospel ministry is that it won't be supported by non-Christians. Take a look at verse 7. It was for the sake of the name, that is Jesus, that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So yes, churches can find funding from businesses, government, and from the community for many things. Things like repairing um, a building, community care, aid work, and more. But not for gospel proclamation. It would be very unusual indeed for business, government, or non-Christians to fund gospel proclamation. You see, gospel ministry is only ever going to be funded by Christians. And if that's true, we need to make sure that every penny we give to ministry is going to preaching the truth. That it's going to preaching gospel truth. 
You see, if you do give to a non-church charity or an organization, please continue to do that. Give to them. Uh, Many of them do good work, and funding helps them continue to do that good work. I'm not saying don't support them. But if you are supporting a ministry or a missionary or an organization, are they doing gospel ministry? Are they teaching the truth? Are they standing firm for the truth? Or are they preaching falsehood? Are they wasting resources on on things other than a gospel cause? You see, the base of Christian support is small. We can't afford to be wasting resources on organizations that are guilty of false teaching. I recently spoke to a pastor who was at great pains at his previous church uh, was a good church, but paying £30,000 a year to a denomination that he knew was partly going and supporting false teachers. There are some churches that are teaching falsehood. This is hard to say, but I think John's message would be that it would be better not to support those churches and for those churches to close and that it would be good that nobody entered through those doors again. I know that's extreme, but I think that's what John would say. Teaching falsehood is a serious business. Now, church is all slightly different, and I'm not saying that anyone different is wrong. Variety is good, but there is a difference between variety and teaching lies. John is saying that we can't ignore false teaching. We must stand up against it. We must uphold the authority of Scripture and truth. But but we can't do this without exercising a spirit of love and peace. It is a great crime that when, in the name of defending the truth, we do it at the painful expense of others. We need to keep in mind that some false teaching isn't deceitful or human deception, but just human error. It would be good to perhaps speak more on this at some stage. John says that we can't support false teachers. He makes it even clearer in his second letter. And that we must support those that are teaching the truth. If you're supporting those going out in the name of Jesus and teaching the truth, then you are partnering with them in their gospel work. John uses the diodiatrephes as an example of getting this wrong. It's a strong warning. Diatrephes is a stumbling block for the gospel. He is causing trouble. John, the disciple that enjoyed a close relationship with Jesus, must have been distraught by the false teaching that was going on about his Lord. John Will, and through his letter, is taking action against Diotrephes. John says, I will call attention to what he is doing. And what is he doing? He's spreading malicious nonsense, slander about me, refusing to show hospitality to the gospel preachers, and stops others from showing them Hospitality, And when they do, he kicks them out of the church. 
Diotrephes was opposed to the gospel. John condemns Diotrephes in the strongest terms. What Diotrephes is doing is evil. Falsehood, however large or small the error is, is dangerous. Whatever the false teaching is, it's evil because it leads leads people away from the truth and leads them away from Jesus. When John next visits this community, he says he's going to deal with diatrephes. The truth is beautiful. Isn't it? The gospel is amazing. The gospel is beautiful. The king leaves his heavenly throne room. He steps echo through the stunned throne room as the angels and the heavenly creatures watch as the king of glory walks to the cross. The king of heaven walks to the cross to redeem you and me. The creator of all things loves you and he loves the world and he wants the world to come to know him. That is good. That is beautiful. That is worth knowing. That is worth working for. That is worth fighting for. It is worth guarding. Truth is important. We must do whatever we can to protect the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beautiful gospel. Help us to know it much more clearly. Help us to lovingly stand up for the truth. Help us to work together for the proclamation of the gospel. Thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And through him, the way to heaven is open. The truth can set us free, and we can have real life. Amen.